Welcome to episode 11 of the Half Point Per Podcast. I am your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my co-host, Dalton Willie and producer Johnny Pham. Guys, we have a big episode today. We finally got the, the home league draft out of the way. Some interesting picks, some, some good picks, some bad picks, a lot to get to today. But first, I want to ask you guys, if you guys won a Super Bowl ring, what would be the first thing that you used it for to get for free? Don't all That's jump a tough at this question. Oh, if I, I mean, first thing I'd get for free since I'm in Kansas City is I would use that bad boy just to get me into the Chiefs home opener on Thursday. Be one of 20-something thousand in, in your little pods? Yes, um, but since I have the ring, I'd get a suite to myself, obviously. There you go. There you go, Johnny. What, what would you use that fat Super Bowl ring for? God, I don't even know. I'm, it's not even on the rundown. So yeah, I, I, want, I, want, I want to get off guard. How long have you thought about this question? Just since earlier today. Um, I don't even know what I would do. I ask because when um when they ask Andy Reid when he will or how he will use the Super Bowl ring or whatever, he says you wear it for special occasions or if you want a free cheeseburger, you just point it right there and show him that ring and you might get one. Oh. <laughs> I just thought that was the most Andy yeah. Reid answer. Oh, well, that. what are you using yours for, Evan? <laughs> I mean, yeah, the free cheeseburger sounds pretty good. I mean, if we're talking Kansas City, though, I'd probably go Casey Joe's over a cheeseburger. Get a get some burn ends or like pulled pork or something at Casey Joe's. Yeah, that's what I was seeing. I was like some Casey Joe's or like some nice little steakhouse. because like I feel like Andy, I don't know where he would go for his cheeseburgers. Dude, you know? Andy loves Five Guys. I think Five Guys like slaps though. They give you so much fries. <laughs> it's true, and it is very expensive. So a free burger there goes a little farther than like a free McDonald's burger. That ring is worth more than whatever franchise he walks into at five guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, like I said, we're going to kind of recap the home league draft a little bit. We're going to run through it, look at some of our favorite picks, some of our least favorite picks. I think it'll be interesting that just to give you guys perspective on what we think about where certain guys went and can kind of inform your decisions on guys, as I'm sure a lot of you guys still have drafts coming up this next weekend since Labor Day is so late this year. But, um, also, our newsletter just went live. You can subscribe at halfpointperpod.substack. That's S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. Um, we'll also put this link in the show notes for the next couple of weeks or may- maybe permanently. I don't know. Just so um, you guys can just click it from there and and get to it as well. But our plan for now will be once the season starts. So I've already put one newsletter up on there. If you go to that website, you'll see it talking about drafting from the one spot and some of my favorite and least favorite picks during the season. We'll probably talk about some waiver wire stuff on there and just some more general stuff that we can't really get to during our one podcast per week. Once the games start taking up about 80 to 90% of, of our once a week show for now, we're three guys with full-time jobs. So we're not going more than once a week, unfortunately, but as we get into it here, Dalton, the first news item Eagles left tackle, a left tackle leading off the show. Andre Dillard <laughs> tore his bicep at practice this morning and will most likely need season-ending surgery next week. That's per Adam Schefter. Um, Derwin James out six to eight months due to a knee injury. He's going to have surgery on that. Obviously, that's a huge blow to their defense. And the reason why I bring that up as well, if if you're a guy that thinks maybe they're just going to lean so heavily into that defense that the offense is going to be just 
as conservative as possible. That injury might kind of change things there, Dalton. Anything to add on those first two? Uh, well, with the Andrew Dillard injury, it just you're going to see 38 year old Jason Peters back out there for the Eagles, so that's going to be an interesting mess. And Brandon Brooks is gone, um, but Derwin James is off the, obviously the bigger impact player, and it's just sad to see that guy go through the injury history he's had in the NFL because he's such a talent and could be so special. But I'm glad the Chiefs aren't going to be seeing him on Sundays. The Chargers are like the New Orleans Pelicans of the NFL, where it's like something has to be going on with this training staff because it's just every single year they have more season-ending injuries before the season of any franchise I've ever seen. Yeah, well, in my opinion, I think the Eagles and the Chargers are probably the worst at yeah. preseason injuries. I don't know what their medical crews are working on, but man, their luck just they always just seem to never work out in the preseason. Some great news for Johnny today. The Bengals are giving Joe Mixon a four-year deal worth $48 million. Um, a very nice payday for that feature back who is now under contract for the next five years. Uh, he's got this year and then the next four after that. I believe the last year is a team option. Johnny, as a man who drafted Joe Mixon in the first round of our home league draft, how happy were you at this news? I don't think you can repeat your actual reaction when this happened, but give, give me a... a a clean version of it on the podcast. Oh man. Uh, especially like when we had a draft on, was that Saturday? Yeah. Right after I made the pick, I was like, I, I have, to, if, if Joe is there, I'm going with Mixon. Like no matter what Mixon's my guy at eight, mm -hmm. if he's there after I picked him, uh, you and uh, Ty gave me some grief. He's like, oh, no, he has little migraines. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about the migraines tweet. Well, a mix, and it got on Twitter and said something like, read between the lines. And it was like, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, so read between the lines. He missed a couple practices due to migraines. Yeah, he's uh, apparently um, completely migraine-free today. He was back at practice. Imagine yeah, that. He, was, he was smiling in pictures when he signed the contract. And <laughs> just like in the 12th round, I was like, oh, my gosh, dude, I just made it devastating pick by picking joe dan uh, so i i've had migraines since saturday <laughs> just glad they were relieved today so very very good news dalton um knowing what we know now had we known that when we drafted or let's just say we're doing a draft right now where would you draft joe mixon knowing that the holdout concerns are over with i mean pre you know when the rankings first came out for us around july i had joe mixon at six or at five right behind alvin kamara I would probably put him at six uh, with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire being the only running back in front of the four, CMC, Barkley, Elliott, Kamara, CEH, and then Joe Mixon would probably round out my top six. I, you know, He has been stellar in a subpar offense for two seasons. He's someone to be excited about, and he's not lost a fumble in the NFL. Uh, he's just a guy you can really rely on, and it looked like the second half of last year, Zach Taylor kind of realized what kind of monster he had in that offense. And you put him and Joe Burrow together, and you have a very exciting uh, duo. The only the only question now is whether or not that offensive line can have some improvements and really give him some holes to work into space where he really mm -hmm. is explosive. Yeah, I think right now, if, if I were drafting again, I would take I would take the big four. I would still take obviously CMC Barkley. I would take Zeke, and I would take I would still take Cook ahead of him, and I would take Michael Thomas. I think ahead of him, although I don't know that would. That would depend on my draft. If I thought it was going to be like our draft, where it's like 10 running backs go in the first round, I might take him you know, at five. But he's either at five or six for me at this point. Ahead of Kamara, we'll get to Kamara a little bit later. There's kind of a <laughs> lot a lot going on. Um, 
with that situation. Some, I don't want to call it bad news for you because it was only a 10th round pick, but a little bit disappointing. You draft Jalen Rager, and then I think literally less than 12 hours later, he leaves practice with a shoulder injury uh, with a small tear in his shoulder. It sounds like for now that it won't require surgery, and he may be out like three to four months. I've seen he's going to get a second opinion, so... I guess still kind of waiting to see a little bit there, but I would be surprised if it's drastically different. Is he draftable at this point as a late round dart throw, even though he's going to be missing uh, three to four weeks? I mean, the camp raves that were coming out about him before this injury were crazy. Uh, They were saying he was going to be playing all over the field. He's still somebody I'm excited about. I'm still going to roster on my team. The one thing that I would watch out for, uh, David Chow, pro, pro football doc on Twitter, tweeted out that this is the same injury that Raiders wide receiver Tyrell Williams had, who was going to play through it and ended up having to have season injury, that news or season ending injury. And that mm-hmm. news broke earlier today. So there is a small possibility that Jalen Rieger doesn't see the field. It could be one of those things that nags your fantasy season. Uh, it's definitely something to monitor i will say it works out a little in my favor since i also have zach Ertz, who's definitely going to be the v- beneficiary of yeah Ertz yeah it targets it, it does help Ertz for sure i i agree with you that i would still take like you know if you're in a if you're in a 14 round draft and you have to come away with uh with a full roster if he's my last position player i'm taking i'm okay with it but you have to take him knowing that just with this season and with the roster crunches that could happen you've got to be okay with dropping the guy if you have to, um, obviously, which is unfortunate because he was somebody that I was excited about. If you didn't get him in our league, I think I would have been the other guy who <laughs> would have been likely to draft him. But yeah. on to what I think was shocking news for some and not so shocking news for a lot of people who have really followed um, the Leonard Fournette stuff a-, a lot this summer. The guy just got straight up cut, not traded, you know, nothing, got cut, and he's now clear waivers. Um, I guess first we'll start with the Jaguars backfield. Uh, given the choice of any of those guys there, who do you want? And I know Dalton, we both made free agent acquisitions um, in that backfield. So let's hear your side. I'm going with Raquel Armstead. Uh, and really I saw earlier today, he went in the 11th round of a of FFPC draft. Uh, really it's a dart throw when it comes to who you're taking out of this backfield. Mm-hmm. The, there's been a coach speak about every one of them. Uh, I think it does depend on roster construction. Devin Azigbo and Raquel Armstead are two guys who are probably going to vie for carries early on, and whoever gets the hot hand will have it early. Mm-hmm. We all know what Chris Thompson is. We all know Jay Gruden loves to use Chris Thompson. He's a scat back, and that's it. So you're going to hope – I mean, if you need a flex play, Chris Thompson's going to provide you you know, eight to nine points in a full, uh, full PPR league. Mm-hmm. But – in all honesty, I'm taking Raquel Armstead, and that's because he has the most familiarity with the offense. Uh, there seems to be – I know he wasn't in the whole season with the COVID list he was on, but he's back. He's practicing. He's a strong downhill runner. Uh, but in general, I probably wouldn't start any back out of this backfield in the first couple of weeks because I want to see what it looks like and what that offense really looks like. Oh, for sure. And I'm I'm going to go with Chris Thompson here just because – I think between Armstead and the other kid, his name is now escaping me. I know you just said it. Oh, Zigbo. Oh, Zigbo. I don't think either of those two guys have like some great upside. Like I think their absolute upside is like maybe they're a flex play for you where it's like, I'll just take the guy who I think on a week to week basis could be safer and be a flex play. Like those guys aren't going to be week to week flex plays. 
I think Thompson is just kind of the floor play. And in that backfield, I'll go with the floor play because I don't think the ceiling is very high. Yeah. The only question I'd have about Thompson is if he makes it past week five this season. Oh, for sure. And like if you're, you know, if you're picking him up as a free agent like I did, you, you don't really care if he does, quite frankly, because you invested very little. But yeah, I mean, the odds of that guy making it um, more than a month into the season are are not too strong. So on to Leonard Fournette. Um, it's interesting. Matt, I'm going to probably ver- um, butcher this guy's name. Verderame of Fansided reported today that the Chiefs have, quote, potential interest in Fournette now that he's cleared waivers. Um, he did note that money has to be right in that scenario, and he would clearly be backing up CEH, who has impressed in camp from what, what he said. And obviously, he's not the only one who has um, publicized that sentiment as well. Dalton, I know you'd be a little upset even so if that were to happen, I'm assuming. Yeah, well, I mean, I took CEH at the seventh spot in our draft, um, but I, I I think this is a little bit of speaking out of the organization where I'm sure every organization has some potential interest in the player. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what we're seeing from Fournette, I think he wants a one-year prove-it deal. Uh, he's not concerned about the money. He just wants to be in the right spot. I don't think Kansas City would be the right spot for him. Uh, you, you know, he's not going to get the starting work. He doesn't mesh as well with the offense. We're not an offense that's going to pound the ball 30 times no matter what the run's looking like. And he's not a back who's been effect- effective uh, in any route running situation in his couple of years in the NFL. I don't mm-hmm. think it's a good match for him. Now, if we're the only team to offer him any money, I might be a little upset if we sign him. But I don't really think it should be a priority for either Fournette or Kansas City to sign him. Yeah, so the odds that you grab from Odd Shark, um, the Chicago Bears are the the betting favorite at plus two fifty, the Patriots at plus two seventy five. I think both of those make sense to me. And um, if you're asking me where I want him to end up, it's one of those two teams. And the reason for that is not I don't care if it's good for him or not, but neither of those teams to me have guys who I'm excited about so i don't care if he because i think he's going to be the secondary guy wherever he goes and i I think he's just really going to be more of a cipher on other people's value so it's like i'm not a big montgomery guy and whatever's going on new england outside of james white because none of this uh, affects james white or you know Tariq cohen in chicago so it's like i want him to go there as opposed to like washington i'm excited about antonio gibson also have him on my roster tampa bay excited about ronald jones also have him on my roster I don't really want him with Chris Carson in Seattle. Um, I don't want him with James Conner in Pittsburgh or in Atlanta with, you know, it's like I, those two teams yet make the most sense for him, but also just for a fantasy. I feel like I don't have to worry about him or the situation if he goes there. Cause I can just, okay, just discard that. Cause I'm not worried about those teams really anyway, except for their pass catchers. What do you think? Uh, somebody who's been on a roller coaster of emotions with the New England Patriots <laughs> backfield, I could really use them not signing Leonard Fournette, especially considering I drafted Damian Harris in our draft. I do think the Chicago Bears make the most sense. Um, like I said last week, their only proven runner is a preseason hero, not a in-season hero. Yeah, the Patriots at least have bodies. The Bears uh, behind Montgomery really don't have hardly anything. And they're a team that profiles a lot more that they're going to pound the rock into oblivion, even if it doesn't make sense offensively, uh, which fits Leonard Fournette's style when you're getting two yards of carry and you're still getting three carries. I think that's probably the team that he ends up on most likely. Uh, I would be interested to see the odds that he doesn't get signed. 
um you know you have better yeah, backs exactly. i think those odds were not posted from what i understand there's no odds for that last i looked i couldn't find any either but uh i mean i know he's looking for a bigger contract but i would most of these teams would probably prefer Devonta Freeman. More yeah, talented absolutely. back, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, okay, on to uh, something or nothing, which we've been doing on a weekly basis now for a while. If you're not familiar, we're going to go through um, some more news items and basically talk about whether or not you should read anything into it or not, whether or not it has any real fantasy impact we can take away from it right now. Um, the first being Miles Sanders. He is doing shadow drills at practice per Roto world. And what that means basically is he's doing, it's more than a walkthrough, but he's not playing live. It's like they're in live situations and he's simulating what he would be doing, but he's not actually like full on practicing yet. Dalton, is that something to you or is, is that not really a- anything to worry about or anything to read into? To me, I'm going to go with nothing, uh, mostly because they told us he wasn't probably going to practice and he was going to play week one. I do just want to point out from the Roto War Blorb, the Inside the Birds podcast where they talk about this, from Jeff Mosier on that podcast, he said, the hamstring injury is not the least mild one, but also not the most severe. So just evident from the beat reporters on the ground to a lot of the eye in the sky fantasy analysts, no one has any idea how severe Miles Sanders' injury is. I would have a little pause for concern at this point just because the Philadelphia Eagles as an organization the last like three years have been very bad about properly taking care of their players from Deson Jackson to Carson Wentz. It's just been an organization and Jordan Howard. It's an organization that's mishandled injuries and hasn't properly let their guys get back to conditioning. But I don't think the shadow drills are much, but there still is some pause when drafting Sanders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I, I am actually going to say this is something because you mentioned people don't really have any kind of grasp for how serious this is or isn't. So just the fact that he is he's dressed, he's at least somewhat active, it makes you feel better than a guy like Devontae Parker, who we'll get to later, who is still in street clothes for the seventh practice in a row. So at least he has that going for him. I'm curious, though. I, I don't really want to give my my opinion. hasn't only really changed on the guy because I was so much lower on him than most anyway. But I'm curious, you know, you, Dalton, who I think you would have taken him in the second round had he been there in our draft. Um, with the injury concerns of just the fact that a hamstring, no matter how minor, that can linger. You have the additional offensive line injury this morning. Are you still taking him as a second, as a strong second round guy? That's tough. Uh, you know, you hit the second round, and outside of Kenyon Drake, Josh Jacobs, depending on how the draft falls, Nick Chubb. I still think Miles Sanders ranks above Eckler and Aaron Jones. In my opinion, I think he has a easier access to you know a seventy percent work share. He's clear goal line and third down back. So if this really is nothing, you're shooting. Uh, it really depends on who your first round pick is. I think if you have a strong guy who's going to provide you with a week to week, really safe floor, it's okay to shoot for this guy. Cause I think Miles Sanders still has that round one upside. I would have a lot more pause about taking him in the first round though. Before mm-hmm. I, if I would have known this news going into our draft, I wouldn't have considered him at seven last week. I was still considering him at seven. Mm-hmm. Understood. Um, okay. So this one's going to be a mouthful. So bear with me here. Alvin Kamara. Um, just a wave of different things coming out about him today. I, I Johnny made the comment like this is really escalated fast in our group <laughs> chat when we were um, going back and forth about this this afternoon. So the first thing we saw was from Josina Anderson. She tweeted that the Saints are open to trading Alvin Kamara. 
Then Jeff Duncan of The Athletic, and he's stationed in New Orleans, said that he can confirm that the Saints' first option is to sign Kamara to a long-term deal, only if the price is right. Otherwise, they're open to a trade and want a first-rounder in return. To that, I say good luck. <laughs> um, next, per Ian Rappaport, Alvin Kamara says n- neither he nor his agent, apparently he told Rappaport this, he says that he neither he nor his agent has asked for or demanded a trade. He thought they, they were negotiating and making progress. Rappaport does note that Kamara has never threatened the holdout and has been in the building every day. And then Nick Underhill, who covers the Saints for New Orleans.football, which is a kind of an odd website name, says they're about $2 million apart and they're negotiating. Then Yahoo later jumps in and says they're hearing that the number that they're offering is around $12 million a year. The number that Kamara wants is closer to 16, which is basically CMC's number. Before this, I'd say he's a pretty consensus top for the five pick. Are you are you taking him there at this point, Dalton? Just with with all of this, well, I guess first, let's all of this that I just read you. Is it something or nothing? Well, and this is where I'm gonna just confuse everybody even more <laughs> because everything you just said just sounds like the New Orleans Saints are horrible negotiators and their front office are really trying to pressure him into it. That's nothing. What I do think is something that was missed in all of this madness today was that Tom Pellaricio of NFL Network reported that uh, Alvin Kamara had a knee epidural shot in his back. Mm -hmm. And I think that the epidural shot is a lot more of something because it means there's pain and everybody knows that epidurals are for temporary pain relief. They're not something that's a long-term way to take care of your body. So now I'm concerned about what's wrong with Kamara. If he's going to come into this season banged up like he did last season. Uh, so that's more of my concern. It could, am, also, it could also be what we talked about last week where it's like, Oh, I don't, I, you know, you're not going to sign me this contract. I'll just go get this shot. My back is kind of bothering me today. Too. It could be the, you know, we don't know. And if that's the case too, then it's something with, with either he is injured or he's using an injury to not show up to practice is something I would be concerned with. Mm-hmm. It's just so hard with the posturing going on by both organizations. At this point, I would probably take Clyde Edwards Hilaire over Alvin Kamara, but I probably hold that steady. I, I hold those two pretty close in regard mm-hmm. uh, without all of the noise around Alvin Kamara. But mm-hmm. what about you? Is it something for you? Yeah. So I guess earlier when we were talking about where Joe Mixon would go, I mentioned that I'd have him ahead of Kamara. I think Kamara is more in like that seven to eight range at this point now, like in the realm of like Josh Jacobs and in some of like, you know, um, maybe Nick Chubb. I'm probably ahead of Nick Chubb still, though, in that area. So I guess what I would say is the fact that the Saints are open to trading him, I'd say that's a big nothing to me. And this just seems like a classic case of one side got fed up and took it public. And then so it was like, okay, we're we're going to negotiate through the media today. And that's basically what happened in, in my mind. This, this does make me thankful for the Kansas City front office. <laughs> I mean, the Chris Jones, there were leaks about his contract, but there was mm-hmm. nobody who took it forward. And they managed to have one of the best off seasons in recent memory in the NFL. And all of that was under wraps until the final day. Mm-hmm. Uh, much more thankful for that front office and Brett Veach than the way New Orleans is handling this contract negotiation. Yeah, and it's like, like I said, this just seems like um, agent wants to get guy more money. He takes it public. 
team says, oh, you're going to take it public. Well, you know, we, we might trade the guy. Other teams, please, please just start calling us. Let us know what you give us for, for Alvin Kamara. We'd like a first round pick, please. Um, which by <laughs> the way, no one's going to do that. No, not that Kamara is not a great player, but with the way running backs are valued, who is trading a first round pick, um, to then pay a guy, not as much as McCaffrey, but not much less, you know, like that, that's just yeah. not going to happen. So, especially when a loaded draft like last year, none of those backs went first round until we got to the thirty-second pick. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, Ceh goes thirty-two, and people are like, "Yo, wow, running back in the first round." So, who's giving yeah. up a first-round pick for a running back? Exactly. No more Trent I, Richardsons. Yeah, I, I don't know. What I would say is, I think this is clearly about the contract. This isn't a case where it's like Joe Mixon, where it's like a little ambiguous because with Kamara, like. Schefter pretty much came out and said, you know, it could be about the contract. If Schefter's saying that, then to me, it is about, about the, contract. the contract. He he's not just gonna he's not just gonna say that. Um, I don't know. I I'm not gonna like drop him clear out of like the first round, like super far, because at the end of the day, like we like we said about Mixon, like we've said about Cook this whole time, it's all about the risk that you're willing to absor- um to absorb on your team. And if it works out, like it did with Joe Mixon. In that case, if it works out, then you're already ahead of the game because you've got a guy at a good value. If Kamara signs a deal in two days and you draft them at nine overall, you just you had the best pick of the first round. Yeah, and he does have one of the more serviceable backups. Uh, two games that part or that Murray didn't play last season. Sorry, that Kamara didn't play last season. Murray had thirty plus points in PPR. Mm-hmm. He was here, he was wildly successful. So you can feel comfortable drafting his handcuff a little earlier too, mm-hmm. and having a good RB one spot locked up. Yeah, and I should say that he apparently does intend to practice tomorrow. Now, what that actually means um, remains to be seen. But odds are, no one's drafting today, tomorrow. You're drafting this weekend, so I would just say keep a very close eye on the Alvin Kamara situation. There's a lot going on, and a lot is changing, it seems like, by the hour. What I will say is I don't think he's going to be traded, um, but just just keeping up. Make sure that you know exactly where Alvin Kamara stands before you draft him. That's all I really want to say, I guess. Yeah, I would just exercise caution at the end of the day, and my biggest concern would just be taking a more stable guy in those first five or six picks if you have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just don't want to go a couple weeks without your RB1. And who knows where this contract goes? I know New Orleans is in a positive cap situation. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm so glad that that Mixon signed because it's like you have so few um, like reliable running backs that you feel good about. It's like you don't even make it out of the first round hardly. You barely get through the first round, and you're already to guys where it's like, I see the upside, but my God, this guy scares the crap out of me. You know, so it's like. Thank God at least one of those guys has signed. Hopefully the other two do as well because running back is just it's just fickle this year. It's even more fickle than usual, it seems like, because everybody is drafting running backs everywhere. <laughs> Incredibly early this year. So um on to a receiver though, Devontae Parker. He's missed a week of practice now. Um an undisclosed injury, from what I can tell, that I have not seen anything specific reported. All we really know is he's missed a week of practice today. He was still in street clothes. So unlike uh, Miles Sanders, who's at least out there in some capacity, it seems pretty unclear where Devontae Parker is at, how serious it is. Um, Dalton, I'm assuming your answer is that this is something, right? 
Well, this is a huge something because Preston Williams is like nine months off an ACL tear and practicing in full pads. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Dolphins aren't being gentle with their playmakers on a on a year where they're missing Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson, who both opted out with the COVID. Rule. I saw the Jakeem Grant highlight tweets earlier today. That's how far they are down the depth yeah. chart. Well, I mean, Jakeem Grant had a good pass for a touchdown, I believe, last year. Um, <laughs> but it's scary. And also, like you've talked about, previously Devonte parker has a strange history of not knowing how to take care of his body uh he did he ate fast food for his first couple yeah he, years he straight up admitted i ate like crap my first couple years i'll start eating healthy now and I'll, it'll get better yeah so now you're throwing up a guy who we don't know how he's taking care of his body we don't know what his injury is if it's soft tissue and we don't know whose quarterback is going to be for the full length of the season now some of that was built in in his initial draft stock but now if you're taking him at his normal adp I think you're definitely losing a lot of value there. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Gusecki and Preston Williams are two guys that I would value a little higher at this point as far as taking them if you're looking for immediate production. Uh, and more importantly, I've made this, I've staked my claim on this before. I think Preston Williams is going to be the better receiver in that offense uh, with the way Defonte Parker's playing and the way he's acting in practice. Preston Williams could really get that wide receiver one spot locked up pretty early. And hopefully he's getting some good reps with Tua so they can be a fun wide receiver QB talent to watch in the future. Yeah, you mentioned Tua. Seems like he seems like he may not have the chance to start week one because it sounds like it might be the hip is still not quite ready for him. But as for Devontae Parker, yeah, I'd say this is something. I'm not gonna go as far as you um in saying that I think Preston Williams will just flat out be better, but those guys should be a lot closer in rankings and where they're going in drafts. Parker there for a while was like a fifth round guy. And in our draft over the weekend, when we got to the six, seven turn, you know, I, he, he was still sitting there for me at that point, And I took Michael Gallup instead. And I feel pretty comfortable. Yeah. I feel pretty comfortable Gallup with action. Pretty comfortable with that decision. Um, but Parker went a little bit later that round, but it's like, I think he's more of like a seventh, eighth round pick. And then Preston Williams, as opposed to like an 11th round pick. I think you could see him sneaking up into the 10th, maybe late 9th as well. But yeah, it's just something to keep an eye on because like we've already discussed, he just has kind of a weird history with taking care of his body and he's had some lower extreme, you know, foot, some foot injuries and you know, whatever, some lower body stuff throughout his career. So hopefully he can get healthy because he should be in line for a big role if he is, but we will see about that. Dalton, anything else to add on that? No, that's about it. It'd be nice if Flores would disclose the injury so we could figure out how worried we need to be. Um, mm-hmm. But that kind of, that uncertainty really just adds to my worry. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. Um, I think we can move on to some draft talk here. If you guys have not yet read the newsletter, you should go in the show notes and click the link and pull that up now. Um, if you do that, you'll see the whole draft board because obviously I'm not going to run down even hardly any of the draft board, but you can kind of see where everybody went if you pull that up and and look at that article. Um, Draft lessons from the top spot on that newsletter. And I guess where the place to start, the most notable thing right off the bat to me is that the first 10 picks in our draft were running backs. Um, Dalton, was that a surprise to you? I know we all all know running back is going um, early and often in these drafts, but there's a difference between early and often and... Michael Thomas falling to the 11th pick, which he did. Well, let me first say I got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And, <laughs> whew, 
Oh man, that was just a weight off my shoulders. Um, but yes, Michael Thomas going at 11 is egregious. Um, and I think that this is where this year more than most, it's very important for you not to just have tiers of each position, but have something similar to Evan Silva's top 150, where you have the guys ranked in order um, across all skill positions yeah because obviously at the end of the day you know you have to get running back i'm not saying go zero rb but what i would say just to add on to that real quick is take the guy who you think is going to be the best for your team because if you have the guy who you think is going to be the best for your team guess what if you need a running back you can probably trade for one later in the year who you know is good who has not busted out you know? Yeah, well, and that's the thing. We know running backs are fragile. There are 10 backs picked for Michael Thomas. I'd be willing to bet three of those don't play 16 games. And more importantly, one or two of those might have very bad seasons and not be very good. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to intimidate anybody. But <laughs> Henry instead of Michael Thomas, what? I mean, that's a tough one. Uh, that was something I was initially considering. And after a little bit of research, you got to go with Michael Thomas. He's a target machine. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I with Michael Thomas, I'm looking at him at as high as you know right now, knowing what we know about Kamara, as high as the fifth pick and probably in the six or seven range, anywhere five through seven. I don't think anybody would bat an eye at you taking Michael Thomas over any of those backs. So that's that's the first thing that stands out to me, and I and it was McCaffrey. Barkley, Elliott, Dalvin Cook, Kamara, Derrick Henry, CEH, Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, and Nick Chubb. That was the top 10. So 10 running backs, and then Michael Thomas, Tyreek Hill rounds out um, round one in our draft. Um, I guess the other thing that's interesting, too, is just with the way it kind of turned out, um, Justin gets Michael Thomas at 11, but just with all of the running backs that went in the first round, and obviously he's a Falcons fan, so that played into it too, um, with taking Julio Jones at the turn. But like Kenyon Drake goes, and it's like, you know, for me, Aaron Jones is the guy in the conversation there. For you, maybe Miles Sanders, but I take Julio over both those guys. So Justin goes receiver, receiver to start off. So just kind of an example of how you can't just be dead set on position. You let the draft fall to you, and that's a pretty freaking amazing start to get. Uh, Julio Jones and Michael Thomas with your first two picks. Yeah, well, and overall, Justin's team is something strange to look at. At first, <laughs> I don't like it, and then I kind of like it, and then I don't like it. Oh, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, Mahomes was his third pick. His RB1 is David Johnson, who I think is a bust. But then he has Mark Andrews, who's going to have a stellar tight end uh, season. But then David Montgomery, Latavius Murray, Zach Moss, and Justin Jackson run out as running backs. Um, mm -hmm. So it's scary. He, he, he needs Larry Fournette to not go to Chicago. Yeah, well, and he needs <laughs> Alvin Kamara to hold out and get traded. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, it just stuck out to me. I felt like they really undervalued wide receiver in the first round. And even at the turn, I mean, I was all the way back at the, you know, at the middle part of the second round and able to yeah, get Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams. And I have him as my wide receiver, too. So I felt like I got a lot of value there. I know that you're splitting hairs between kind of the top five or six wide mm -hmm. receivers. Um, but... I mean, I'd say top five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Between him and Michael Thomas, those guys have good shots to lead the league in targets just because there's so little competition on their team, especially yeah, I, Adams. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Adams would be a, a, a first round pick or a fringe first round pick um, in my opinion. So yeah, just interesting. I think we knew going into this, that our league was going to especially be running back heavy because it always is. And now this year it's everybody is really running back heavy, but, Okay, let, let's really get into criticizing some people here. Which 
Name names. Per, which person in our league do you think had the worst draft? Well, before I go, I want to bring in our esteemed producer, Johnny Fam, <laughs> and I just want to hear his thoughts on this. Thoughts on what? Who had the worst draft? Absolutely. No, no, the rundowns for uh, you and Evan. I'll, I'll let you guys go first. All right. Well, I I don't even know if he listens to this or not. Hopefully he does. I'm going to say Noah had the worst draft. Um, you mentioned Derrick Henry at six. That's how he starts off. Eckler in the second. I don't mind, um, but it's funny. I would take Henry about where Eckler went. So there's that. I don't mind Lamar in the third, especially at that at that part at that part of the third round. That's fine. But I'm pretty shaky on Ridley. I had Raheem most on my bus list, and then you go further down, guys like Gronk in the eighth round, um, when he could have taken like Tariq Cohen, um, Antonio Gibson to kind of shore up the running backs. Um, I do like the Duke Johnson pick, but then you know I mentioned Gronk in the eighth, which is all is way too high for Gronk, anyways. Then he takes T.J. Hawkinson, which is actually a very good tight end pick in the twelfth, but that makes the Gronk pick look even worse to me. And in a league where Noah didn't have to pick a kicker defense, which it's not only him, a lot of people, including you, Dalton, picked a kicker defense. But I think if you're going double tight end, you probably want to not go kicker defense. So you can just take some other dart throws and see what happens these next week, 10 days um, before the season, right? Yeah, well, I, you at least want to draft a kicker who's on a team. Uh, talking <laughs> about myself there and Alger Broses. Um, yeah, I mean, Noah's team kind of throws me for a loop here and there. We should uh, mention it, Noah is the reigning two-time Sacco in our yeah, league. He, he is. So Evan kind of picked a low-hanging fruit there. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean... I don't mind. I really liked the Lamar Jackson pick by him. Yeah. though. I will say that much because I, when I watched Lamar Jackson fall in the middle of the third, I was considering him at my pick a little uh, three spots later. Yeah, uh, and even even at the two three term for me, I, I didn't really strongly, con- but I kind of had a little inkling of maybe Mahomes or Jackson there because uh, none of the running backs fell and Kelsey didn't fall. So I thought about it briefly, but I decided against it. But I, I like it mid third round for sure. Yeah, well, and when I'm looking at who landed where, um, this was a tough one for me. My bottom three teams when I was working this out. You you gave a bottom three. I'm just giving one over here. Yeah, I'm just shooting shots here. Uh, Brian's team, (laughs) Edger's team, (laughs) and Juan's team. Uh, Juan's team's going to take the cake here. (laughs) Look, I'm not like a Devin Singletary hater, but Devin Singletary at the end of the 3-4 turn is just that's something um you know he went before mark ingram who you at least feel comfortable with in his workload uh cam Akers, who i feel like him and singletary should be a little closer maybe uh but then you know he's sitting at his wide receiver one and two at hill cooper which is just a very explosive group of receivers well, we, we, we actually talked about this earlier that he has hill cooper Diggs, which is a very explosive group but he's gonna have some fart weeks I and mean, he's gonna have some like major major explosive weeks it's just very scary for me and then he took deshaun watson as the third quarterback off the board i don't like that i don't have him ranked i think i have him at qb7 which is lower I, have than a, consensus. I, I have him at third so I'm, I'm a fan of where he went as far as quarterbacks and real quick on singletary um we know i like him a lot more than you and i don't really have a problem with any of the guy any of the running backs he's taken over what i would say is that i think I would have like if I'm just doing a top 150 like you talked about, I would have almost every receiver that went in the next round ahead of him just because I th- I think like if you're ranked, it's like 
you have you have running backs and then you just have a ton of receivers before you get back to the next wave of running backs that I want to yeah. look at. Um, I think the only exception, sorry, Dalton, in this range might be I think I might have Singletary. I think I would take him ahead of Juju. That's about the only receiver in the fourth round I would take him over. Well, I didn't draft Juju this year, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, I still stake my flag on him as a player. No, uh, and just rounding out Juan's team, you know, he has two, you know, he has Kenyon Drake and Devin Singletary, and then his only other starter or back you can really place on your roster is Tevin Coleman, because after that he has Madison and Pollard, who are very high-quality handcuffs, but you really need a lot of luck to flow your way to end up mm-hmm. successful with those guys. I like the late Miller pick. But Alexander Madison and Tony Pollard, with that roster construction, you are very top-heavy, and then you have three wide receivers who you really need to boom every week to accommodate for what I would consider just a weaker running back core. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you brought up Brian's team, though, not necessarily because I think Brian has one of the three weakest teams. I- I'm not sure I'd have to really Out with it. I'd have to really digest it. What I did want to ask you, though, I wanted to compare my team and his team a little bit. And obviously, I'm not going to do this because I'm going to be biased, but I wanted you to because Brian goes running back, tight end with George Kittle, and then he goes running back, running back, receiver, running back, running back. Five of his first seven picks are running backs. Um, Only one of his top seven is a receiver. And then you look at my part of the draft. I'm the only person who took three receivers in the first four rounds. I'm just curious. So we talk about running back versus receiver. When you just look at the rosters, at least at the top, which do you like better going really running back heavy and throwing a tight end there, tight end in there like that, or going with the receivers and then maybe taking some running backs in the five, six range. Well, and I'm going to relate this back to what I said earlier, but I think this is where it's very important to have tiers. So you're getting value. I don't mind a three running back start um, and mixing in a tight end like Brian did. What I do mind is the backs that he took. Melvin Gordon. It's a guy who's, I mean, they haven't outwardly said it. They said Melvin Gordon showed up to camp out of shape. Uh, he showed up fat. And he's a guy with uh, RB2 behind him and Philip Lindsay, who's outperformed expectations every year, knows the offense, and is a pass catching back as well. Uh, so I don't like that pick when you're <laughs> comparing Melvin Gordon to Odell, uh, which you took with your third pick. I like the idea of Odell better. Um, and then when you look at just going down the line, Le'Veon Bell's not a high upside guy anymore. He's not somebody I'm excited about. Uh, so top one and two, I like the idea of starting off George Kittle, Nick Chubb better than Christian McCaffrey and Chris Godwin like you did. But overall, I prefer your approach because I think you got more value out of your players than Brian did. Uh, um, especially that Le'Veon Bell pick is the fourth compared to Terry McLaurin. I think Terry McLaurin is just a better player. Uh, there's an outside shot that Le'Veon Bell would get cut by his team just with the way Adam Gase and that franchise has treated him and the consistent need of them to bring in running backs. I'm not, you know, sold on the fact that Le'Veon They're Bell has... They're itching to has, bring in Kalen Bellage, man. Itching yeah. to bring that guy in. Uh, he's a guy who's going to need 20 carries or 20 touches a game to really perform at a fantasy value of the fourth round. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not sure that the, that the organization has bought into it um, so I would prefer really any of the wide receivers past him, except for maybe Robert Woods uh, in that fourth round mm-hmm. uh, at having Marquise Brown and Deontay Johnson as your wide receiver one and two is just as scary a situation that ha- as having Rojo and James White, except I think that those two might be a little more week to week. At least you have some 
real work from Rojo and James White, and you know they're going to give you points, and you can look for your booms somewhere else. Well, and so I guess the other thought process would be when you're just comparing. I mean, Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson are the receiver one and two, whereas Rojo and James White, I have Christian McCaffrey, where if he you know lives up the expectations, that's basically been like one and a half running backs. Um, so you hope you get that again, but. I guess my strategy, because we talked about this when we were we did a couple mock drafts and had these conversations where I was like, when I get to that two three turn, it's like I feel like I need to take a running back just because I I want to have running back kind of secured early on. But the more I thought about it, I just I couldn't do it because I just like once you get past Austin Eckler for me, um, out of that top um range of running backs, I don't feel good about any of those guys in the in the third or fourth round except for maybe the very late fourth but they weren't going to come back to me i don't feel good about any of those guys you know the chris car chris carson's the james connors obviously leonard fournette todd Gurley. um well, those his- guys all scare me and i just felt it too early to take jonathan taylor i couldn't quite get myself there on jonathan taylor well, historically, the third and the fourth round have just some of the highest bust rates for running backs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a round where sometimes people are reaching and they're shooting for the high volume plays, uh, not looking at much else, and the backs just don't end up how you want them to be, uh, especially in a year where wide receivers are so undervalued. It's worthwhile to really get that value there. Uh, I don't think wide receivers as deep as people think it is after doing yeah, some drafts I, this year. I, I agree. Um, I And I, this isn't me saying that I think Brian's team is bad. I think that I think I like Gordon and Bill more than you do. But I was just curious what your thoughts were on this because we talked about to open this up, so many running backs going early, and you just have like the complete polar opposite as far as who did what in the first four or five rounds. So I was curious what you thought of how how those teams kind of shaped up at the top. And before we get into the next couple of picks, this is probably just a good point for me to address it since we've already talked about McCaffrey. Yes, I did take Christian McCaffrey number one. I took him over Saquon, and here is why. The more mock drafts I did, the more I came to the realization that unless a running back somehow magically falls to the to the end of the second round, Eckler or Aaron Jones were the two that I had had fall in drafts sometimes. Unless one of them falls, or Kelsey falls, or like DeAndre Hopkins falls, I'm taking a receiver outside of my top five that like I, I like. But once you get past the top five, there are things about all those receivers, too, that scare you, that you feel like there's downside there. So I, as much as I like Barkley, I think it was a it was a very tough decision. I still think he's the better football player. They're very neck and neck. I feel like McCaffrey has more of a floor. He's the safer play. So when I had when I thought about the proposition of taking two receivers at the two three that I like but I can definitely see the downside. I decide I just, I just got to go with what I think is as close to a sure thing as you can possibly get in fantasy football if he's healthy. In being Odell Beckham Jr.? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, unfortunately not. Um, and, and being Christian McCaffrey. No, and uh, I, you know, I think that's the better pick. Uh, I also do think with the type of roster construction you're approaching, which is, you know, not having a strong RB2 to start the season. Saquon, I know you don't like this, but Saquon's schedule to start the season <laughs> is absolutely horrendous. Uh, and it just kind of, it would shy away. It's really a split in hairs argument, though, like we said on the very first podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like CMC first overall, too. 
Awesome. Well, okay. We've a lot of negatives so far. Our least favorite picks, our least favorite teams. Who was your favorite pick outside of one that you made yourself? Um, who was your favorite pick that uh, that was made in this draft? Oh, you see, I put that down as uh, who my favorite pick was personally on my oh, team. Oh, on your own team. Uh, but I'm more than happy to address that. Okay, well, uh, give me you can give me your favorite pick, and then I can go with my favorite pick league-wide and then give you a second to think about your other answer. So give me your favorite pick. That's great. I fell in love with taking Zach Ertz in the sixth round. I'm very surprised that Mark Andrews, Evan Ingram, and Darren Waller all went before uh, Zach Ertz. And, you know, he's a guy who's at 800 more more yards for four straight years. Looks like the NBA is going off right now based on the reactions <laughs> I'm seeing on camera. Well, Johnny's reacting. My str- I looked over and my stream wasn't playing, so I have no idea what happened. Oh, my gosh. Game seven was bananas. I, I, I don't even know how to describe the last, like, 12 seconds. It's pretty electric. But, uh, <laughs> Who won? Speaking, uh, Nuggets won. They won by two. Jazz had the, had the ball last, and then Donovan Mitchell turned it over. Nuggets went all the way and tried to score a layup. They missed the layup. Then the Jazz had four seconds left, and then I think it was Mike Conley almost hit a three and it just rimmed out. It was mm. just heartbreaking to see. But. Another blow for uh, pseudo-Jazz fan Brian Clark on this podcast. <laughs> what a Jazz Denver Nuggets score 80-78 in Game 7. Oh, uh, game seven, baby. Game, game seven, though. baby. Nothing easy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, coming back to football, uh, Zach Ertz <laughs> in the sixth round, I thought it was a huge value for me. Uh, it was really great considering what happened to my 10th round pick, Jalen Rieger. Uh, but I do want to just give some more hashtag camp stats on my boy, Zach Ertz. He <laughs> led the Eagles in camp targets with 38 and touchdowns with seven. And he has not dropped a single pass. He is Mr. Sure Hands, and I'm very comfortable having him above Ingram, Andrews, and Darren Waller, who all went before. Wow. Is he ranked uh tight end one in camps right now? What's he ranked he at is, in camps? He's tight end one. Uh, On what fantasy website? producer. Mm-hmm. Uh www.fantasycampstats.com. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, he's only scored more than seven touchdowns twice. He scored eight twice. So the seven touchdowns are now his second highest touchdown season of all time. Is that right? in camp? Are you looking yeah. at camp, camp stats? Nope, nope. These are re- <laughs> these are regular season stats. We're just taking these camp stats and we're just carrying them on over because that's how this works. Oh, but I was very happy to get him. Uh, while I think about my favorite league-wide pick, Evan, who was your favorite pick of the draft? Um, well, okay, so I touched on this in the newsletter. My favorite... My actual favorite pick was Michael Thomas. We talked about that, so I'm not going to go over that again. I'll give my number two. So number two, number one for this purpose, um, carry on Johnson for me in the eighth round um, where Ty got him. So as things currently stand right now, it seems like he's going to be the starter coming into the season. We don't know how long that'll last, but Swift has missed time with a leg injury. And I, I think he's actually back at this point or close to back, at least at practice, but you don't like an injury missing time and getting behind. Um, you've had a lot of smoke already there with him not knowing his role, not knowing you know some of that stuff. And and Carry On is a talented guy. It's not like he's just some random. It's not like he's just some ho hum veteran. I mean, he was a guy that was going in the second and third round of drafts last year. He just can't stay healthy. And 
getting him in the eighth round, even if it doesn't last, even if Swift eventually takes over, I still think Ty is likely getting some starting running back caliber weeks out of an eighth round pick, which is great value. And I was very upset with Ty when he took him about five picks ahead of me. Yeah, that pick by Ty was a very good pick. Uh, Inversely, the pick by Brian was swift in the sixth round with the (laughs) missing of camp did not look so sweet. Uh, But that is a good pick. And I think you did this specifically just to get me to say what my favorite pick was because I think you know what it was. I really don't. He was a value getting him in the seventh round. And I thought he would fall back round to me. But Evan at 7.1 took Michael Gallup, who... I think has an outside shot of out competing Amari Cooper this year as far as fantasy points go. I was going to take him at the turn at 6-4 with the pick I had traded for from Ty, uh, but Zach Ertz was there and fell to me, and then J.K. Dobbins was also there in the sixth round, and I bo- I think that those guys gave me some good ceiling plays, and I really yeah, we'll, thought... We'll get to Dobbins because that's a lot higher than I thought he would go. We'll get to that. I really thought and truly believe that the rest of our league was going to undervalue, excluding maybe Dakota, uh, Michael Gallup to the point where I could have got him in the seventh round back around at my turn. Uh, but I think it's a great value play. Like I, I think I have him wide receiver 26 or 27, and I don't think it's not uh, hard for him to finish in the top 24 this mm-hmm. season. And getting him as your wide receiver four is a steal. I, I can tell you that Dakota, yet he was in fact going to take Gallup with his, uh, with his seventh round pick. Um, it's funny that I ended up with him, though. I think I like him less than you and Johnny and probably Dakota, too. But he was just the guy I liked best with that pick. So that, that's what that's what I ended up with. I wish I was taking him to prom and not you. That's all I have. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> How long have you had that line hole stick? Oh, man. It's just it just hurts. You know, you spend it. <laughs> I got a lot of my guys in the draft uh, and I really wanted Michael Gallup. And that one hurt the most. <laughs> Now, Evan Lurie drafting two of the wide receivers that I think all of us really wanted, like Scary Terry and Michael Gallup. That was just that was just pain. I only took Terry for the team name. Well, I'm also going to say I wrote <laughs> down on my draft notes going into the draft, you're not getting Rojo uh, for myself, knowing you were going <laughs> to draft Ronald Jones before I could. Yeah, well, especially I'm sure once you saw me go double receiver at 2-3, you knew that I was absolutely going Rojo at the 4-5 turn. Yeah, no, I knew it was all over for Rojo unless I took him there and there was no chance I was taking him that early in the fourth. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Um, okay, well, thank you. I, I appreciate the praise, Dalton, very much. Um, I might have a little bit for you later on, but we'll see. Um, least favorite pick, and again, this is league-wide. Did you do league-wide or just your own team on this one? League-wide. Okay, so you would only you only did the negative league wide, the positive just your team. Understood. Oh, I could do the negative on my team if we really want to do no, that. No, it's okay. We'll we'll, we'll do the. That'll, that'll be a kicker. long podcast if you do that. <laughs> yeah, oh. Aldrick Rosas, who is facing more um, legal charges than he will be snaps played in the NFL this year. Hashtag Team Grit. No. <laughs> okay, your your least favorite pick league wide. So I don't want to wrap on it. Uh, and this one actually probably comes in second for me. But Devin Singletary at the, the 3.12 was definitely up there in consideration. Uh, but I'm going to go with my bust. Talked about why I don't think he's going to repeat last year. I still think he's talented. But Darren Waller in the fifth round to Eli, uh, I just think that that's a, not, a, not a great pick. He went over Rojo, Keenan Allen, Brandon Cooks, T.Y. Hilton. 
Uh, Zach Ertz, <laughs> most egregiously. No, I, took, I, I took Rojo before that, three picks before oh, that. Oh, sorry. Um, oh, but he went before DK Metcalf, DJ Shark, mm-hmm. AJ Brown, uh, all guys who are going to be great wide receivers. Uh, and he went before Zach Ertz, who's going to more than likely outperform him this season. Uh, so I don't think Darren Waller has what it takes. His splits last season when all of their weapons were healthy was much worse than when the weapons weren't healthy. Coming into the season, the Raiders added a ton of weapons. They're looking to spread the ball out. I just don't think Darren Waller is going to be you know, the guy you want. And last but not least, I talked about this, but he got less red zone targets than backup tight end Foster Moreau. Uh, Foster Moreau had more touchdowns than Darren Waller on a lower snap percentage because Darren Waller's not their tight end they utilize in the red zone. Uh, bringing in Jason Witten this year is scary for me too just because Jason Witten's a guy who's going to take away some of those precious snaps, especially in blocking formations. Uh, so no, at the end of the day, he's going to run like a penguin while doing it. Oh, he is. Uh, so at the end of the day, I think Darren Waller in the fifth round is like four rounds too early on his four value. rounds. Whoa. Well, that's why he's one of my busts. <laughs> okay. Um. Again, this will be similar to my number one in that my act or to my number one positive my actual number one is miles sanders we all know how i feel about miles sanders at this point we're not gonna get into that again so the real answer i'm going with here and we're gonna really um bash the beery bros is derrick henry at six we touched on it earlier but it just has not been a smooth ride for derrick henry the last two seasons sure he has had some insane finishes but slow starts and i think the reason for that is that he needs good blocking to be good. If he doesn't have good blocking for as powerful of a runner as he is, he takes a long time to get up to full speed. And if he's not up to full speed, he doesn't break tackles like you would think for a guy that size. He's not elusive like the Joe Mixons, like the Nick Chubbs, like like those guys who can make guys miss in the backfield and turn a negative two-yard run into a five-yard run. I just don't think he has it like those other top-tier backs do. and. Not that I would take him multiple rounds later. I would take him in the second round, but you're talking taking a guy who I think is a second rounder who I think has bust potential because we've seen him before he explodes down the stretch these last two seasons. He's been fine, but it hasn't been great to own him. He's been like a mid-RB2 until the ends of these seasons. So if he doesn't have one of these crazy explosions where everything just starts going right for Tennessee's offense, then I just worry that he's going to be more of a mid RB two and taking that in the first round is pretty harmful. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I think that this season, the one thing to watch for Derrick Henry is he might catch more passes than we think their backup running back is Darrington Evans. Who's had a bad fumbling issues in practice. Uh, Outside of that, they really don't have any running backs. Uh, Deion Lewis is gone. So if he's able to catch more passes, you get a little bit of a different value with the back who is probably going to see the league leading amount of rushes or close to again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I definitely think taking him in the sixth round or sorry, as a sixth pick lends itself to a lot of risk. Uh, You're taking him at basically the peak of his value. Absolutely. And I'm still a bigger fan of Clyde Edwards, Hilaire and Joe Mixon in that spot, especially um, mm-hmm. I'm glad. Clyde Edwards are letting go at the sixth spot and I got him. Well, uh, and you mentioned like the the pass catching. It's like they basically have a, re- a running back who plays receiver in AJ Brown. So it's like just dump it down to AJ Brown and let him run the open field because he that that's his skill set. Why am I he, dumping down the Derrick Henry? 
Well, who knows? Maybe this is the year he just suddenly figures out how to catch balls. I just want to mention my honorable mention for this one is Keyshawn Vaughn, who Dakota took in the 10th round and has already cut off his roster, by the way. Thank um, God. A guy that was going to be playing special teams. Daryl Henderson, AJ Dillon, Tony Pollard, Boston Scott, to name a few, all went after him. Those are guys who could either see some work or very valuable handcuffs who who went after um, Keyshawn Vaughn. Bad pick, Dakota. I know you're probably not listening, but if you are, that was a bad pick. Oh, man. Yeah, the Keyshawn Vaughn pick was pretty egregious. I would rather have a Goomba Wale than a Goomba Wale. You're going backwards. You were a lot closer. You were a lot closer last week than this week. I'm never going to get it. I can't believe you trusted my pronunciation of this podcast for Ezekbo for the (laughs) Jaguars. I didn't didn't even remember his name. That's the only reason why. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Um, Who's the most surprising? faller in this draft I'll, I'll go first with this one actually because you kind of touched on it earlier I, I'm gonna cheat it's a tie here for me between Mark Andrews and Zach Ertz uh, Mark Andrews at 5'11 Zach Ertz at 6'4 I don't really have a I think it's fine whichever order you want to put those guys in I think it's close I probably favor Ertz but it's close I understand it if no tight end is going like in those mid rounds or earlier than that but you mentioned it I don't get Waller going where he went and I like him more than you um but not that much, not more than those two guys. And you know how I feel about Ingram. I think um, going in the fifth round for him, that is basically you got to have a fully healthy season for him to live up to that, which we all know what kind of peril that puts you in, hoping that that is going to happen. Um, So they are the fourth and fifth tight ends off the board. I'm very surprised they lasted that long. Um, Andrews has a late fourth round ADP and Ertz early fifth on fantasy football calculator. So they both fell about a whole round um, from where you would expect. And just speaking of ADP, I did want to mention, I was curious, I'm curious what you thought. Did you, were you surprised that Antonio Gibson fell to me at nine one? Because I was surprised that he fell that far in our draft. He has a late seventh round ADP. He was, he was somebody who I wasn't targeting in this draft, uh, because I didn't want to deal with the headache concerns of Washington and their backfield and watching Adrian Peterson uh, snipe valuable, you know, reps from my guy. But I really thought, especially with all the preseason hype, he would go, um, especially with guys, you know, David Montgomery going in the sixth round was a surprise compared to Antonio Gibson. Uh, Jordan Howard and Philip Lindsay over Antonio Gibson are a little bit of head scratchers. Sony Michelle over Antonio Gibson. Tarek Cohen, who's basically an Antonio Gibson clone, but probably not in as good as a situation right now. We're all surprises to me. Uh, I, I'm curious because Ty, Ty and I had this conversation during the draft the other day. Do you know how how tall and how much how tall Antonio Gibson is and how much he weighs? Do you know Do you know his height and weight? If you without guess, Googling it, I don't. Uh, it. I would say he's 6'1", 225. Okay, you're a lot closer. He's 6'2", 220. And Ty and I both have, the, we were both like, we thought he was like this small scat back before we actually looked. And it was like, oh, he's like Joe Mixon's size. Like the way people talk about him is like this small scat back guy. So it's a little surprising. And that get, just his size gives him a little more upside. And, you know, now that I got him in the ninth round, I'm going to be bringing the Antonio Gibson hype, the coach speak every week from the Washington football team today or yesterday. Antonio Gibson getting more reps than he expected in Washington. League winner. Pound the desk. Oh, well. <laughs> I guess I'll talk about my unexpected Go faller. Um, Go for it. I touched on Zach Ertz. I, I, he is one of them, but it's actually the guy who came back to me in the seventh round. 
it's Will Fuller. Will Fuller was a guy I didn't think I was going to get a lot of shares of in our draft. He's somebody who I think has great upside. Um, but really where he went was, I think, very, very close to his floor, all things considered. I mean, he went in our league. He went next to Julian Edelman, who's 35 years old. Uh, AJ Green, who I don't know if he's going to play football ever again. Tyler Boyd, <laughs> who's just not that tantalizing. Devontae Parker, who we talked about earlier. It's um, funny that Tyler Boyd's not tantalizing you, but also Jamison Crowder. Well, Jamison Crowder and Tyler Boyd are the same player, but Jamison Crowder goes two rounds later. Jamison uh, Crowder is like half the size of Tyler Boyd, and Tyler yeah, Boyd is not he that gets, big. He's, he might lead the league in targets this year. Have you seen that picture of Crowder next to whatever lineman that is? It literally looks like oh, uh, a father and his child. It's like the El Tuve uh, Judge <laughs> photo. Where Aaron just, Judge. Yeah, yeah, where they're just so much bigger. Sorry, I keep talking about your guy. No, I mean, that's about all I have to say. I think Will Fuller out of the flex is the most ideal spot to have the guy because he's a boomer bust guy. I'm not relying on him to produce consistently. If he gets injured, he's replaceable there. I didn't have to take him as a wide receiver two, where he's going in a lot of the other drafts. Mm-hmm. I was able to take him as a wide receiver three uh, and still get value with Jalen Rieger, who surprised ended up getting injured instead of Will Fuller. Um, but I'm excited. Yeah, you know, who would have had that? Will Fuller, not the first guy injured on Dalton's team. Yeah, well, but my excitement is, uh, and we'll probably talk about this later, but with me having so many rookies, at least while he's healthy, Will Fuller could really provide my team with some of the upside I wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't mind Fuller going at that point. At that point, it's almost the eighth round. It's fine. I don't love Fuller, but that's fine. I think that's fine value. I do like that Brandon Cooks went ahead of Fuller in this draft. I do think that's right. Two Whether full or not, rounds. what? No, not two full rounds. You don't know oh, how to one full snake round. draft. He went Will Fuller seven nine Cook six eleven. So about about a full round ahead. But that does lead me into my next question, though. You mentioned uh, Fuller out of the flex is ideal. I'm glad you think that because you are almost certainly going to have to do that week one because you took Dobbins in the sixth round, and he was your third rookie running back. We know you took Ceh Jonathan Taylor in the third round as well, late third. So we've talked about rookies, kind of the peril with rookies this year, or maybe just more unknown. So I would just love to hear what made you confident in, I know what you felt about CEH, we don't need to talk about him anymore. Mainly Jonathan Taylor is who I want to talk about because he's the guy you're spending a real draft capital on. What made him worth it at that point for you? Yeah, so I'm glad we're not going to talk about CEH because everybody's tired of me talking about him. But just pound that button, everybody in your drafts, pound the CEH draft button. Um, but Jonathan Taylor, you know, at the ninth pick in the third round, it was something that I was considering based on the way our draft was going. Uh, we had, let me count real quick, 16 backs go before him. Um, so at that point I was a little concerned about what we were looking at. I knew that I was not, he was, the, to, he was the 19th back off the board. So he was the 19th back off the board. So we're already in the, the fringe RB two range, uh, in the third round, full disclosure, I wanted my guy, Adam Thielen. He was taking two spots in front of me. Uh, once Adam Thielen went, I knew I needed an upside running back. It really came between him and Melvin Gordon who went right after him. I ended up taking Jonathan Taylor for a couple of reasons. Uh, out of everybody in the second half of you know that RB2 range, Jonathan Taylor has the most ability to return that value. Uh, he, you know, he is a back who can really he can run well. Um, additionally, the more I look at it, I think I sent this tweet earlier. Uh, 
Marlon Mack might be worse than I, I, I initially was saying. I'm going to eat crow a little bit there. Uh, Marlon Mack has a – with when running within the one and two yard line, he has a negative 13-yard uh, differential. That means he's run backwards 13 yards in those situations. He's a bad goal line back. Devontae so, Freeman's 16 rushes for zero yards was also pretty funny to see on that chart. It was. Um, so at the end of the day, that's pretty important to me because – like we've talked about, like you talked about specifically, Evan, I'll give you some credit here. They invested early round draft capital on him. Uh, <clears throat> at the very least, he probably profiles to be the better goal line back in rushing situations. It's a team also that the more you look at it, they're playing in a bad division with a great offensive line and a quarterback who's not young enough to play potentially fast with a decimated passing core. You know, you have T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman, and Paris Campbell, who are all good talents, but they're all also guys who haven't been able to stay healthy and a rookie in the name of Pittman. So you're going to have a team that probably wants to rely on its defense that just invested into Forrest Buckner. Uh, they're going to be a team that's probably going to want to slow the game down and run behind the best second best offensive line in the league. Uh, so there's enough value there that even early in the season, I think that Jonathan Taylor can be a good eight point back for you. And I think later in the season is really where he gives me a lot of upside. I feel very similarly about my sixth round pick JK Dobbins as well. Mm -hmm. So with Taylor, I actually did just want to mention real quick. It's kind of funny. I've seen reports in the last couple of days. You've seen the number one, the, the guy is struggling to catch the ball. He's struggling with drops. And then today, the athletics reporting, well, he's the candidate to be involved in the passing game. So nobody knows how that's going to go. But you just talk about the running. I, I think anybody um, who scouted this draft came away with, not that we did, but other people who <laughs> scouted this draft who we read came away with this idea that Jonathan Taylor is the best pure rusher in this draft. Um, pure NFL running back, best best player overall. Eh, that might be a little more up for debate, but I still think a lot of people would say he was the top back. Period in, in the in the draft, quite frankly. But he's just not a guy that would fit in Kansas City, for example. Um, if the Chiefs want to take a running back, but you can see how it could go wrong, and you can see how it could go right for Taylor. How it could go wrong is you know Naheem Hines still very much a factor. Um. Marlon Mack ends up being more of a factor than you would hope. He takes away some of that goal line work, some of those high-value drives. The rookie, maybe he has some pass protection issues, which he had in college. Maybe ball security is an issue, which I think was a little bit of an issue in college. I could, could be mistaken there, but I believe that is correct. So those is. issues are, are things that if, if you see those crop up, you could easily see Marlon Mack playing more of a role than you would like and more of a role than Taylor's talent would suggest he should. You could also see, I mean, what if Taylor just comes out and has 120 yards and two touchdowns in week one, then he, then like that job is just his, right? Like he's, I guess what I'm okay. There's nothing that Marlon Matt can come out and do in week one. That is just going to bury Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor could come out right away, week one, week two, and bury Marlon Mack. That's not impossible. He's that good. That O-line is that good. He could come out and be great right away. And just like that, he's an RB1. You know, It could go either way. And if you want to talk about a game where a guy can go off, Evan, this is a, this is a schedule where you can look at his first game and be like, <laughs> yes. Because the first game Jonathan Taylor plays is against who will be the worst team in the league, the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> uh, so I, if there is a time for him just to go ahead and put Marlon Mack in the graveyard, it's a great opportunity. 
I will say the, the, the really what came down to the final straw for why I drafted Jonathan Taylor is Adam Levitin at established the run has a look ahead article where he says guys who are going to later rounds who could end up being first round picks in 2021. Uh, and one of the guys he named was Jonathan Taylor. I won't name the other players on there because it's not a paywall, but last year he named guys like Derek Henry, Aaron Jones, Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, and Chris Godwin. Um, so he had a lot of hits last year. Mm-hmm. He is somebody who I'm likely going to trust with that information. And then Ian Haritz just has been tweeting at PFF. He's been tweeting amazing things about uh, Jonathan Taylor and the fact that the guy is built like a linebacker. I mean, he is just a freak of nature. It's just going to be fun to watch him at the end of the day, and that's the other reason I took him. I want to have a back who I want to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. And that he's going to be exciting to watch between the tackles and see him develop. Mm-hmm. Johnny, how are you feeling about Dalton um, admitting defeat so quickly on Raheem Mostert versus Jonathan Taylor? They could both be top 12 backs. They could, but I feel like you taking Taylor in the third round is you. I'm not saying the bet is over, but your opinion has now. You are now on my side of the bet. Even if you win, you're now on my side of the bet. Yeah, he basically just laid, he just laid down the sword, basically, and just said, <laughs> I give up. I'll pay up now. Look, we've made what multiple you bets. Uh, it was, now you're it, trying to backtrack because you know you just messed up. Look, at the end of the day, what matters most to me is winning this league. I'm eating crow here uh, on this podcast. Everybody knows uh, that was a bit of a hot take. Um, (laughs) And with the news about Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon, I'm not so sure that Raheem Mostert's the starting back there anymore. So there's some, there's some concern on my part. Okay. I do want to ask you last thing, uh, JK Dobbins, because I totally get CEH and I totally get Taylor. I, I also get Dobbins, but, I also wonder if that's chasing too much upside after what your first two running back picks were. I'm not saying it is or isn't, but that would just be my concern if those are my top three running backs. I'm curious what made you feel confident enough to pull the trigger. I mean, clearly you think he's just going to come in and be at least um, involved fairly heavily, not to the tune of out snapping Mark Ingram right away, probably, but he's going to basically be Gus Edwards, uh, on steroids a little bit well first i just want to copy and paste the you know you don't invest a second round draft capital in a guy if you're not going to use him well uh, that's and, not always true uh rashad penny comes to mind but go on well that was a difference in coaching staff in front office pete carroll didn't want him the front office did no, no I'm, I'm just saying that net you gotta be you, you gotta be careful always i dobbins is a better i think everyone agrees that dobbins is a better player so i'm not saying that applies in this situation but just in general I would say be careful about just doing one plus one equals two when it comes to that. That's all. True. Um, but really, the profile for Dobbins and the reason I drafted him, first, I named Mark Ingram a bust, and I'm going to stand by that. He's a guy entering his 31-year-old season. Uh, generally, this is where backs lose some of their explosiveness. Uh, he was a guy who didn't get a lot of touches last season. There are touches to be had in this backfield. More importantly, the reports, and you don't want to read too much into this, but the reports out of camp are stellar. Gus Edwards has been missing time. J.K. They, Dobbins. They, they said heavily involved today. I, I got the sleeper notification. So that's incredibly exciting. Um, J.K. Dobbins is just such an explosive back, and it's an offense that profiles as a, one that's going to be effective at running the ball. Um, 
that's the reason why Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins were exciting rookies for me to take is they're in offenses that run the ball. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I've got enough on that, but it's an offense that's also beneficial to running backs. I wanted to take environments where the running back is somebody who is part of the game plan and not a secondary, you know, an ancillary, ancillary function. Anc- ancillary. There we go. Function of the offense. And okay, these now, are three now, offenses. Now, now say Haloti Nada next. Just complete the trifecta. Haloti <laughs> Nada. Uh, <laughs> That's Man, we're really just going after me on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but no, it just it, it ended up that way. And I know you think I reached on him a bit, but his uh, uh, underdogs ADP right now is 69. Yeah, nice. and his, his fancy his fancy calculator is similar. similar. So I'm, I don't think I could take him that high based on the market. You didn't reach on him, but anyway, I, go on. At the end of the day um, – with the way running back can go and how you can end up getting a waiver wire guy who's going to provide you eight or nine points a week, uh, I just wanted somebody who could end up giving me league-winning upside. Uh, my goal going into this draft, and I feel like I accomplished it, was to shoot for the fences at as many positions as possible and just take the high-variance league-winning plays. Uh, historically, I've kind of been a guy who wants to take some softer plays <laughs> who just return value for you. Yeah, I gave you a hard time for not liking Jonathan Taylor because it was a, we- a league-winning pick, and you didn't yeah. like that. Well, and I just wanted to swing for the fences and see how many of the fences or how many home runs I hit this year. Dal- Dalton's uh, strategy is shoot for the moon, and you might just land among the stars. That's the hope. Uh, tired of not winning in this league. <laughs> um, for the record. Uh, I like Mark Ingram more than you. I don't, I I would not have him down as a as a bust. I think it's different um, from the Marlon Mack Jonathan Taylor situation in that I think Ingram is a much better player, a much more established player, and quite frankly, he was great last year. I'm not saying he's that this year, but I think it's a little bit tougher for Baltimore to get away from him than the Colts getting away from Mack, who was good last year, but not Mark Ingram. I, I think I think Ingram. And I'm not necessarily saying this to say that Dobbins can't be a factor. He clearly can. Ingram clearly could have not as good of a season as last year. But uh, I'll be interested to watch this unfold because Johnny has the other half of that backfield. Johnny, right? You got Mark Ingram in the fourth round. Is that correct? I did. I did. So so how are you feeling about that pick at this point um, with the way Dalton is clearly (laughs) bullish on J.K. Dobbins? See, I'm not really too excited because – whatever Dalton says, I'm just going the opposite way with it. So I'm actually, I'm even higher on marking him now than I was when I drafted him. (laughs) Yeah. I, I'm not going to say I'm with you, but I am, like I said, I think that Ingram is out. The difference between Taylor and Dobbins is that the only way Dobbins to me turns into a league winner is injury. I think Matt could just straight up be a league winner because he's better or not Mac Taylor could be a league winner because he's better than Mac. I think it's going to take injury for Dobbins to truly be a league winner, but yeah. I mean, sixth round pick, you don't need that, but still I think Ingram is the better back this season. Yeah. I, I just don't understand how Don can just label him as a boss. That was just, that was just dumb. <laughs> I will bet Johnny. Okay. Okay. Here we JK go. Dobbins outscores Mark Ingram by the end oh. of the season. I guarantee you by like week six, you're just going to just curl up and say, okay, I'll pay you now. Cause it's, I can't it's wait. like your bet with like Moster. Like you already Tomorrow, gave up. Harbaugh is going to come out and say, you know what? We want to manage Mark's role. 
mm-hmm. and let one JK really unleash himself in this offense. I'm, I'm excited to follow this one. This is going to be one of contention, I think, on the podcast, as long as you guys both own these players all season. Uh, this would be an every week ordeal at this point. Probably daily, if we're being honest, but that's I fair. can't wait for J.K. Dobbins outscore Mark Ingram on half the touches. On half the touches. Okay, <laughs> that is going to do it for us today on episode 11 of Half Point Per Podcast, ending on an interesting bet. Johnny, I hope you type that down. We've got that one down. We're going to be keeping an eye on that and all of the others um, from the preseason. As we move into the regular season, next week is not quite football. No, next week is football. No, next week play is. Next Thursday. This is our last preseason show. That is just amazing to say out loud. We're going to be talking actual games next week. Next week, you will also be getting uh, two newsletters. So as I mentioned before, um, click that link in the show notes. And that is, again, halfpointperpod.substack.com. We'll have waiver ads. Actually, there'll be one newsletter next week because no waiver ads. One newsletter next week. And then after that, two every week with waiver ads and then other just general conversation, fantasy conversation, and our ranks in the in a Thursday newsletter as well. Follow us on Twitter at Half Point Per Pod. Keep up with everything. Hey, if you want to know what Alvin Kamara's status is as of Friday, you can probably check our Twitter. We'll have something on there about that. Dalton will find some other gif he wants to tweet about people drafting Alvin Kamara. Our show is available anywhere you listen to us, anywhere you listen to podcasts, excuse me, most notably Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and we will talk to you guys next week. Game previews next week. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.